Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 79 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. The month of May is slowly winding down, but we're not winding down here. We got a lot of great things to talk about with you today. And of course, to do that, I am joined by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing this fine day? Doing great, Eric. Episode 79, one shy of 80. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're we're already planning for our big episode 100 release party eventually. Um, it'll be here before we know it. So any ideas, send us a note on Twitter. <laughs> I wonder how close that'll be to our studio conf. Yeah, it might be a little bit after, but you know Probably what? a little we'll, bit after. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make it fun one way or another. But yes, uh, <laughs> that is a big event coming up. Um, we're, I know I'm personally quite frantically putting together a workshop that I'm excited to teach, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But that's in July. We got to talk about today. We got three awesome highlights to share with you. And so for the curation this week, I had to put on my little uh, pinch hitter hat, so to speak. It was actually me this week. We had a little uh, scheduling uh, mishap, but we were able to pitch in. That's why our weekly is a team effort. And that came to play here. But I had a great, great set of resources to talk about with you. So I had excellent help, as always, from the community, especially for this episode. We're going to hear community mention quite a bit. So let's get right into it, shall we? So I'm going to frame the first highlight kind of with something that's been pretty obvious in my world with having two small boys, um, building Lego sets. Now, one attractive feature of building Legos is it's very accessible. It's very easy to get started. Who doesn't have a story about their first set that they put together? Things like that. Well, it's not too different from R itself, if you think of the way data science and statistics works. It's quite easy to get started with doing a pretty you know, sophisticated data analysis because if you look at the history of R, you might hear a phrase that's spun in slightly different ways, but I'll say it as R was written by statisticians for statisticians. So you can, the, the way you can access and perform analytical workflows for exploratory analysis, visualization, and even you know very nitty gritty statistical research, it's very intuitive to somebody coming from these fields. Now, depending on your situation, that might be good enough for you. Um, you may, you can get so far in the world of R in the data exploration mindset. But at least for me personally, especially in the last four or five years, it's been expected to me to deploy R in multiple workflows, multiple situations for production, whether it's machine learning pipelines, shiny applications, or designing clinical simulations, I've had to have a lot of on-the-fly training, so to speak, of best practices for software development. Now, for me, these lessons have been kind of difficult because I, even though I had a minor in computer science, it never quite prepared me for things like this. But I'm happy to report that no matter where you are, if you're just beginning to enter this world of building production workflows, that are based with R and statistical programming, this is a terrific time to invest in a few optimal practices that have been written up very nicely um, in our first highlight for today. 
So speaking of community, another win for community engagement, developer advocate Rachel Dempsey from our studio had asked on Twitter for recommended software development resources that she could pass along to the general community. And there were so many great suggestions that senior product marketing manager Isabella Velasquez has tidied them all up into a terrific blog post from our studio's blog. And so the collection of principles and techniques that are outlined in this post, they remind me a lot about the aforementioned adventures I've had with my kids of building Lego sets. So when you think about a Lego set, the first step is getting your base and foundation laid out. So of course, when you build these pieces, they're not like falling on top of each other or or breaking at the moment of a little touch. Well, for your analysis projects, instead of just kind of like randomly scattering your programming scripts, your data files, your report files, in kind of this haphazard way, I'm giving your project a structure where it can be effectively self-contained and make it obvious for present and future you to be able to execute all or part of that analytical pipeline. It's going to save you a lot of time and potential hassles later on. So it's really setting that foundation in a solid way. And if you're interested in learning more about effective workflow management, I'll certainly put in a plug for my colleague, Will Landau's targets package, which gives you a very nice way to organize all this and only execute what you need to in your analysis. So let's say you got that foundation set up. If you're building, say, a big project like the Lego set, maybe with more than one kid involved, you want to have a clear way to understand who's doing what and be able to understand and keep track of the progress. Well, for me, version control, another principle outline here is hugely important to not only kind of have a development log, so to speak, of everything you've been working on, but it's very transparent and it allows for asynchronous development among multiple team members. And without version control, I cannot do anything that I'm expected to do in production. It has saved me so many times. And that's another principle that's outlined here. And going back to the Lego example, if you have a pretty complicated set, you don't want to lose those instructions, especially if you're new to it. But in the world of our analysis, you can think of the instructions as, you know, what packages you're using, maybe what snapshot of those packages. That's where in both the R and Python worlds, we have this concept of analytical environments that in the R world would be greatly supported by the RM package. And in Python, the concept of virtual environments. This is very important to be able to have that instruction set always ready to go and to have everybody else on the team be able to follow that exact same starting point for your analysis. Another part that I need to do a better job of that this post highlights is that you always want kind of want to check what you're building to make sure it's working, to make sure you didn't introduce any structural flaws that would cause the whole thing to topple over. Well, in the analytical world of our development, building automated tests throughout the development process can be your safety net to check your progress and integrity of your analysis so that if anything is off kilter, if anything is not quite working the right way, you're going to know about it pretty quick and you're going to be able to develop your code 
in an even better way by learning from these from these issues early on. So I need to do a better job of that, but I think this collection of tips in Isabella's post is a great way for you as a statistician or data scientist to get the best of software development in an easy, digestible way to get you started effectively. So Mike, what, what did you like most about what you read here? I absolutely love this post. Thank you for curating this one, Eric. It's a topic that I could write about for days and probably should start blogging about. I know you and I could podcast about this for hours and hours. And, and this stuff involves a different mindset than what you need when you are purely analyzing data. And that can be intimidating at first. I, I think back to when I was just starting out as a data analyst and I had, I had no idea about version control, project structure, unit testing, anything like that. Um, so I really appreciate our studio putting together this post because I, I, I think it's really important to preach this as much as possible. You know, one of the linked resources that you mentioned um, in the project structure section is the book called What They Forgot to Teach You About R. And I couldn't think of a better name. I'm pretty sure this book stems from Jenny Bryan's infamous blog post titled Project Oriented Workflows, oh, yes. which has two of my favorite quotes that go something like, if the first line of your R script is set WD or RM list equals LS, uh, she will come into your office and set your computer on fire. And, and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> And it really made me sort of reflect on why this is so pervasive. I still see those two lines all the time on client engagements. And it's hard to make sense of you know, why this is still a thing because it, the RStudio and the RStats community have been pushing these types of software dev principles hard for years, it seems now. Right. And, and I guess it's probably just hard to break old habits or, or maybe a lot of curriculum in undergrad stats courses with R doesn't get updated very often. So they're using the same old slides that they've been using, uh, you know, since Stack Overflow recommended to have those two lines as at the beginning of all of your scripts. Um, maybe we need to find better ways to get these principles into the classroom sooner. I'm sure that's not an easy task, though. So for now. Um, let's just keep on preaching uh, software dev principles on blogs, Twitter, and, and our podcasts. Yeah, I'm sure that, that you and I, Eric, could sit here for the next hour and discuss the, this blog and this topic in general, but maybe I'll just, I'll just wrap up for now by giving a quick opinion that took me a while to learn, but has helped me tremendously, and it really ties back to project-oriented workflows. I can't emphasize enough the importance of sort of storytelling in your analysis and having a solid beginning, middle, and end for every single analysis that you do. If you go into a project without thinking about this, you'll just end up with a bunch of disjoint files that don't really tell the clear story, uh, aren't really reproducible, and aren't going to sort of get you to, to that next level in analyzing data in a, a way that's going to actually affect change in your organization. 100%. I've, I've been down that road where maybe I get a, a very open-ended request from a colleague at work where I'm trying to answer the question analytically, but that's not the full picture. The full picture is everything going into that analysis, all the different potential issues that could cloud the interpretation of that result. But that, that's, an, that's kind of an art as well as a science. Uh, being able to frame that effectively and then having the code 
to support each step so that you can quickly go to whatever step you need to put more attention on. And yeah, I would in the past, like very early days, Eric here would number his scripts like one through whatever and be like, okay, this is the first one, this is the second one. But that really didn't really help with the story. Um, it, it helped organize it maybe slightly better than my initial approaches, but there's more attention to detail. And that's where I say, along with having that intent in mind of beginning, middle, and end to, to govern your analysis, never ever turn out the, the, the opportunity to put your thoughts in writing as you go along. It's even if you call it like your own like developer notes, or if you will, you never know where that will be useful, especially if you have to leave a project for a year or, or half a year and then you're going back into it, but you don't remember what was in your mind, why you chose this step or this analysis. So documentation along with the analysis, we have the tools to make that very easy now. So I feel like it's just the onus is on us to take advantage of it, especially with the, the current tooling available. Definitely. And make a workflow diagram that we have the mermaid engine in Absolutely. GitHub. I'm, markdown I'm trying to get no better no verse of that. that. I actually used that in some internal documentation I did at work for how we use our environment and R on our Linux system. And I had a little mermaid diagram of like all the different servers you could connect from and where they're leading for deployments. And I was like, yeah, I can dig this. I, I can do this more often. Just got to make it a habit, Mike. Make it a habit. Exactly. You eat your veggies, you make your mermaid diagrams. <laughs> Full stop, everybody. Full stop. <laughs> now let's, let's dive into another important aspect of reproducibility um, for our second highlight, and that is reproducible documents with one of our favorite ecosystems in our the R Markdown ecosystem. Now, just like we talked about in our previous highlight, there were a boatload of helpful ideas and practical tips that were shared by the Twitter community um, for another blog post that was authored by data science educator Brandon Cullen and senior data scientist at IBM, Allison Hill, who you've heard about many times on these highlights, and Isabella once again in another RStudio blog post that's assembled in a series of posts, practical tips and ideas to help build and troubleshoot our markdown documents. A lot, every tip here and here is great. I'm gonna highlight a few of them that I, I think are some I need to either pay more attention to or try out for the first time. Um, one tip that I saw was that being able to save the content of a particular chunk of code into a separate file with the cat engine Notice I said engine here. This is actually an actual chunk engine, not just the cat function itself. But this is very helpful if you just want to quickly route maybe a model diagnostic or, or a log output somewhere, and you can either send that file to somebody or just even put that in version control, anything like that. It's a nice trick to be able to open the door to use that, that particular output into something else such as even SQL queries, for example, if you want to write one of those verbatim. So that's a great tip that I didn't know was possible. Another one that I did dive into a little bit, but I need to do even more of, is knit expand from the knitter package. That is an absolute game changer, folks. 
when you have boilerplate text and you want to substitute maybe certain variable names or certain input, you know, numbers, anything like that, without having to type that same chunk every single time just by changing one thing. It is a very dynamic approach to avoiding having to repeat yourself too much and having potential errors as you code up like the the fifth or sixth version of that linear model analysis or anything like that. And lastly, I will admit, especially my early days of R Markdown, debugging was painful, especially when things were going haywire. I learned in this post about the knit exit function from Knitter. This is a very neat way to tell Knitter that everything after that call, just forget about. Don't execute it. What an awesome way to help you debug. If you know there's some problem maybe later on, or you're trying to isolate where the problem is, this is very much like the approach I would take with our function debugging, and I would comment out a certain portion of the code and see at what point is the error still occurring. So that, and also it can save you a lot of time too, if you're like iterating on one part of the document and you wanna to get to the next part later on, but you don't wanna just remove that text from the file itself. So that, that little trick from Knitter, knit exit, is something I'm gonna be um, using as well. But if nothing else, this is showing you that the R Markdown ecosystem is still very much thriving and still is extremely powerful for almost anything in terms of reproducibility with your analysis in R. So I have a lot more follow-up to do on this, Mike. How about you? What did you like about the tips you saw here? Yes, I couldn't uh, believe when I saw that knit expand function. I remember vividly trying to create a histogram for every variable in a data set and oh, yeah. doing that with like a for loop inside an as is chunk or something like that. And knit expand just makes that way cleaner, way cleaner. It looks like. And for me, at least, there is always more to learn when it comes to R Markdown. There's just so much functionality. Uh, I mean, Knitter itself, there's so much functionality. It's incredible. So kudos to, to Eway and everyone that has built out such an amazing ecosystem for developing scientific documents. Um, I did know about the Perl and spin functions from Knitter, which convert an RMB file to a .r file and vice versa are incredibly right. handy. I did not know, however, that uh, you can reference another chunk by using the ref.label chunk option instead of copying and pasting that prior chunk. Um, can be really useful if you are trying to pull all of the code into an appendix as well. That was one of the examples they gave in the blog post. Also had no idea you could cache chunks using the cache equals true chunk option, which can be super useful if you're going to be consistently re-knitting a document that you're working on that has one chunk that takes a really long time to run. So just cache that object, cache the object in that chunk. Um, and every time you go to, to make changes to that document and check your progress and re-knit, um, it'll just pull the cached object instead of rerunning that all that uh, logic over again. And Furthermore, I had zero clue that you could save the content of a chunk to a text file somewhere. You brought up the great example of uh, creating a SQL script, which then you could even pull back into your R Markdown file to execute against a database connection with this using the SQL engine, which is exactly. just mind blowing. Yeah. Another one of my favorite features of R Markdown that they did highlight in this blog post is parameterized reports, which allow you to pass particular parameters at the time of render. 
and those parameters might filter the data that gets shown in the output report, for example. So lots of really great nuggets in this blog post. Much easier to see if you read the blog post that, than we can articulate on a podcast in terms of the examples. Um, I think they even have like pictures and, and, and interactive uh, GIF files. So uh, definitely check out this blog post mm -hmm. to see all these nice little nuggets that you may not have known about uh, previously when it comes to our markdown. I certainly didn't. Yeah, this, this is a great series. And again, these are resources that have come through, you might say, the test of time. And so many in the community putting our markdown in sophisticated workflows and learning about these tips that kind of start to surface at the top of very important to take your, take your capabilities of using this to another level. Things like the Knitter Package have so much under the hood. It's almost impossible unless you're Eway himself to really digest what it's fully capable of. But when you see these practical use cases of where you can fit these different techniques, there is something in here for everybody, no matter which part of the analytical spectrum you're in when you're creating these reports. So I'm very, very excited to see, see these resources shared. So another great uh, bookmark to put into your uh, collection of our bookmarks. And that's what our weekly is for. We're giving all those bookmarks for you, everybody. That's right. I'm not sure if I would believe Iwe actually exists. I would think he's like be the, the wizard in Wizard of Oz if you hadn't met him and couldn't verify that for me just because how incredible the R Markdown ecosystem is. Yes, I am. I, I feel like, um, and I'm, I'm going to say this in the most polite way. I feel like I was talking to Yoda every time I meet him. Like, I, <laughs> I am I'm not compliment. even at Luke's level, but he has taught me a few Jedi tricks in the very few conversations we've had. Yeah, and I, I use them to this day. So anyway, I hope I see you in a couple of months. But yeah, attention to detail, the the best practices that he's implemented with this are just amazing. We're, we're in good hands with our markdown for the future. Speaking of helping people out. So our last highlight is another win for being able to not only share what you're doing, but to share it in a very digestible and easy to access way. Oftentimes when I'm trying to figure out a, an issue and I'm having trouble solving, um, the best place to go is to first try to boil down my my issue into a very self-contained example, idea of a reprex that you've heard PY Jenny Bryan say, and then be able to share that in a troubleshooting form, such as our studio community or Stack Overflow, things of that nature. Well, not everybody's on those portals. Sometimes the best way to get attention is to take advantage of the social media aspect like our previous highlights did, and send that out on Twitter. Well, it can look kind of junky to put just verbatim code into text on a Twitter post, especially if you hit that infamous character limit. But I'm happy to say that Tom Mock from our studio, no stranger to these highlights in the past, has a terrific solution that integrates two or even three really important pieces of technology to make sharing code snippets as easy as possible. And that is his new Gistillery package. Very cool name. And under the hood, what this package is doing is it's helping translate a snippet of R code 
into a gist that you can post on GitHub and then taking advantage of another um, tool in the web called Carbon to create a really attractive, easy to read image of that code that's directly ready for sharing on Twitter or other social media. That is just amazing how all that integrates together. And I definitely need to take advantage of this. Um, Mike, were you blown away by this too? Yeah, it's incredible how he combines these two really powerful uh, concepts that get used that we see all the time, the, the carbon snapshotting, and then the gist uh, that you can post on, on GitHub for others to be able to take a look at what you're working on. And it's always awesome to hear from Tom. I try to pay close attention to what he's working on because he writes really thorough and easy to follow blogs and documentation. So this is a great package. I hate to admit this, but I have never created a carbon screenshot of code I've written. And yes, I am on Twitter. I'm probably the only data scientist on Twitter who has not done this yet. Uh, is there a twofer over there? You as well? I've done one. Oh, okay. That counts. <laughs> That counts. So I still am the only data scientist out there. I get so jealous of people. I used to get so jealous of people who posted those beautiful carbon images on Twitter. And I figured it was like a desktop app on Macs that built these beautiful screenshots for you. And I'm on Windows, so I just didn't have access to it. So I would just have to, you know, snipping tool, uh, paste my paste my screenshots out there ugly from my RStudio IDE, but come to find out it's just this great web service that I could just as easily have used myself the whole time. Um, but anything that we can do to make code sharing, especially when it comes to helping each other work through bugs in a way that's less intimidating than stack overflow can be, you know, any way that we can make that easier and more approachable. And in this case, uh, case of carbon, much more aesthetically pleasing as well is, is great by me. And I think goes a long way to helping newcomers create reprexes or reproducible examples, which is a tough thing at first to get your head around, you know, hey, this doesn't work on my IDE. How am I going to take those next extra steps to create something that uh, somebody else can, can run and see the issue firsthand without you know, having access to my data, um, having access to specific things that are needed to just, uh, you know, that, that create the analysis that I'm working at and really just get to the heart of reproducing that bug that you're facing. So great work uh, adding more tools like this to, to that particular ecosystem. So kudos to Tom. And one of these days I will make my first carbon screenshot. There's no excuse not to now. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yes. And um, one, one other aspect that I really like is the fact that obviously, like we said, combining the GitHub gist with the, the screenshot of carbon, the screenshot will have in the, in the image itself a link to the gist itself. So that's something that I kind of struggle with sometimes when I would see these, like, okay, do I have to type this all out? How do I, do I have to type it all manually? But now, as long as you can get that link, you can just copy it from GitHub and then throw it in there or tweak it to whatever you like. So it's accessible in different ways. That's what's the beauty of this is it's putting the different tech to achieve a, a, a solve a very real issue, but in a really concise and, and dynamic way. So yes, we, we both will be making more use of it. The fact that I've only done one was just more by accident than anything else. Um, I was, I remember testing a uh, good friend of mine, uh, Yanni City's package called Carbonate, which does a similar thing. It helps create 
um, carbon screenshots from R. It does a little different and it uses something called R Selenium to actually get that screenshot itself. So that's a little different purpose. But I remember just trying that out, see if it works. And yeah, it worked. But I can see this being very helpful as I start to, you know, start to reach out more to the community, especially with some issues I'm trying to solve, which can be quite, quite difficult, or even some of the simpler ones that maybe I just didn't get enough time with. So this will be, this will be part of my toolbox for sure. And Tom never ceases to amaze me with his content on this or his great work he's done with, with blogging and, and even his adventures with extracting numbers from screenshots of uh, sports tables, which was very helpful for a project I had a, a while back when I was trying to uh, grab some numbers from hotshot racing screenshots. So he's, he's helped me in many ways this, this year alone. Yes, and I'd encourage others to check out his, his blog, The Mockup, which is a great blog where he shares a, a lot of step-by-step -step tutorials on how to do some pretty cool stuff in R. That's right, and, and there's a boatload of additional cool stuff in this issue. I Like I said, I had a lot of fun curating this. I'm going to give a note to one of the other um, resources that caught my eye. Um, most of you know I'm, I'm definitely a fan of using R on Linux and putting it through the paces and trying to take it in different directions on those deployments with containers and, and everything. Well, a new project called R2DU uh, from Dirk Edibutel, who is, of course, uh, the architect of RCPV. It is a great framework that's tailored to the Ubuntu Linux distribution, and in particular, their long-term support releases, which we just had a month ago with Ubuntu 22.04. And what this is giving you is a way to install binary versions of practically every package on CRAN with the, the um, built-in packaging system in Ubuntu based on apt or uh, apt-get, you know, aptitude, whatever have you. It's all in there so that you can get these very quick installations on your system and get up and running very quickly no compiling from source like the tidyverse if you compile the tidyverse from source get a cup of coffee get a run in because it's going to take a while on a default linux install so i'm going to be trying this out on some of the container stuff i'm doing for my dev environment so it's great to see linux play such a a big role into making our installation and administration even easier so Mike, what did you see on the issue besides our highlights? That's an awesome highlight. And that does sound right up your alley. For me, I love seeing corporations give back and open source some software that they have developed so that it can benefit the entire community um, when they can do it, obviously. Uh, Roche, which is, I believe, life sciences in the life sciences space as well, they mm -hmm. published um, the GG Tips package this week which allows you to quickly add really nice tooltips to your ggplots so that when you hover over a point on a scatter plot, for example, you get a, a nice little box that pops up and articulates the data point your mouse is over when you're in an interactive shiny setting. So I, I have to say the tooltip in this package looks a lot nicer to me than the one that you get out of the box with Plotly. Um, and they have a demo app where they even have emojis in the tooltip itself, which is pretty awesome. So definitely check it out. And it looks like a nice little framework for adding tooltips to your plots, which I think can go, go a long way towards um, 
communicating the information in that plot to, to end users a little bit better. This was a welcome surprise. And um, I'll speak, as I said at the top of the show, um, every issue we curate, we get great help from the community and our our weekly team members. And I want to give a shout out to one of our newest members, Sam Palmer, who actually clued me in on this. And I said, okay, that's going in the issue one way or another, whether I curated or not. And sure enough, it became my week. So uh, thanks, Sam, for cluing me in on that. But it is a testament to how I may have mentioned it in the last or couple episodes ago, but um, we're seeing R be taken in many innovative directions within life sciences and starting to see a lot of this being shared in the public. These uh, tooling like GG Tips and some of the other work that I think Roche has been heading and, and many others as well. So certainly it's a great time to take advantage of this no matter what industry you're in, we're seeing this great tooling being developed and I can definitely have a use for GGTips in my, in my future shiny ass where I don't necessarily have to always go to Plotly for it. I can build this in and have a robust tooltip right off the bat with my uh, friendly ggplot2 workflows. It's nice to have options. That's the nature of open source. You got options. There's always more than one way to do things. Well, there, but... There is only one place to go for R Weekly. Thank goodness, that's rweekly.org. You will not get confused by that. Um, check out every issue, and currently in the current one. As I said, I had a lot of fun curating this, but a special shout out to the community who made doing this on short notice so much easier. And we're still obviously hard at work trying to spin up our fancy uh, setup we had before, but we still are able to keep the lights on and bring all this content to all of you but please do get involved. We welcome all PRs of any resource that you found helpful. Head to rweekly.org, click on the GitHub link, and you'll get taken directly to our current draft. Just send a little PR there. It's all Markdown text. You love our Markdown. We love Markdown. We all love easy, easily uh, you know, documenting the issues of Markdown syntax, so it's very ex accessible. And we would love, you know, others to join our team as well. Uh, please get in touch with us and we'll be glad to have a, have a talk with all of you. So speaking of getting in touch, Mike, where can the, the audience find what you're up to these days? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Awesome. I'm at the RCast. Sometimes I'm sending random pics of my shiny books at soccer games. I always take the opportunity to level up my knowledge no matter where I am. That can be very helpful in certain situations. Always have something fun to talk about and please give me a shout if you have feedback about the show or feedback in general. We're always welcome to hear from you. Well, that'll, that'll do it for episode 79 of Our Weekly Highlights and we'll be back with episode 80 next week.